I am incredibly impressed that y'all have showed up on a hurricane weekend. I envisioned a kind of sparse audience, and uh, it is wonderful to be with you. I, I can tell that you want to be together, honestly. Um, we've had two years where isolation is a virtue, right? And we need each other, and I, I am thrilled to be able to kind of help launch your year together. I'll tell you something interesting about speaking. I never intended to speak, okay? I just asked God that I could write. And then I got pulled into these speaking things. And I was terrified. Because you put words out there and you can't get them back. And you can't edit them. And for the longest time, I memorized everything I was going to say, which was a lot of work. And then I progressed to little bullet points that were like 12 points, and then it progressed to 14, and then 16, the size 16 in the font. And what I discovered when I put this together tonight was, oh my goodness, I can't even see the 16-point top. Um, so this is going to be a lot more like talking, really, like you and I sat down and talked, and I did most of the talking. But our subject is, you know, this whole idea of the body of Christ and relationships, what God intends to give us through that. And I speak to you, really, as a woman who's been in and around many parts of the body of Christ now for 50 years. And that is staggering, even to me. So my goal, really, is to add to this sense of convincing you, really, that there is a richness and a possibility and a power present in the body of Christ that's different than anything you can find out there and worth, worth coming together for. So I want to talk with you about a couple ideas, and one of them is that there is a uniqueness in the body of Christ. It is not like any other human group that you are a part of. And I'll tell you when this first hit me. I, I became a Christian right before I went away to college. Um, and I didn't know much about the faith. And when I showed up on this campus, I, I really knew something had happened on the inside of me. And I, I wanted to track down these people who <laughs> claimed to speak, speak about that. So I sought out Christian groups. But at the same point, within a week of coming away to going away to college, I pledged a college sorority. So my life took off immediately in two different groups of people. And in that, you know, you know what it's like in any human group, but like in a college sorority, you are there because somebody thinks you have something to bring to the table, right? Kind of on merits. Um, but you, when I went into groups of Christians, I, I was startled. It was like, oh my stars. There's a little bit of everybody here. And I don't think I realized that how much I had self-selected my relationships up until that point. But you come into the body of Christ, there's a little bit of everybody. And that was wonderful, but it was strange. It was strange. I've uh, always been taken with a, a quote by Henry Nowen. He said, actually, you have reason to wonder if you're in a group of Christians unless there are two or three people in that group you would not have chosen for friends. 
Think about that. Because God brings a little bit of everybody. And often the people who prove to be significant in your life are people you wouldn't have perhaps chosen as friends. So my point really is that here in this group, in groups like this, uh, we come together based on the mutual admission, unspoken, that we have nothing to bring. This group, we don't have anything to bring. Every Sunday, we come forward with empty hands. It is the body and the blood of Jesus that brings us together and does, and he does remarkable things. I'm here because I know I have nothing to bring. There's an old expression, uh, I bet it's at least 100 years old, is worth four words and it's worth learning. Jesus will be central. He will be. Because anything in my life that is not of him just kind of fades away, falls apart. And so it is in a group of people. You know, he will be central because we can't hold together any other way. I've been uh, intrigued with this verse really since I became a Christian. At the end of 1 Corinthians, uh, it says this. It says, consider your calling, brethren. There are not many mighty, not many noble, and not many wise among you. But God has chosen the things that are foolish to shame the things that are wise, and the things that are weak to shame the things that are strong, and the things that are despised, and things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man would boast before God. We are here together because of the body and the blood of Jesus. And Christ has promised to be present among us, to actually be here in in the midst of our flaws and our peculiarities and the parts of us that are just not fixed yet, or as Hebrews says, is the sin that clings so close. And I want you to think about that for a minute. It's a phrase we throw around, right? Christ is present. We are actually saying that the living God who spoke the worlds into existence, that Isaiah says leads the stars out at night, came to a stable out back, suffered on a cross and rose from the dead, that he condescends to be present among us. And that is what puts the potential and the power and the uh, all kinds of possibilities in our fellowship. Now that sounds like a really big thing, doesn't it? The living God present among us, and it is a big thing. But I want to suggest to you tonight that really you come to experience that. It shows up, actually, in small moments. And if you aren't careful, you will miss them. If your insides are kind of asleep, you will miss them. His presence shows up in small moments. The actual richness of what God gives you through his people shows up in small moments. So do you know it when you see it? If I sit down with you and I ask you, uh, when have you experienced the touch of Christ through another person? Could you tell me about it? A conversation, a time you prayed with somebody, They showed up in your space. They brought a casserole to your door. Are you aware when you are that for someone else? 
Have you had an experience in your life where you realized, oh my stars, this is actually God moving through this person in this moment because God knows what I need. Uh, or have you been aware of that you with another person? I'll tell you um, one such experience that stands out for me. It comes out of a period in my life, actually. I think I was just waking up to things. And it comes out of a period in my life when I realized that God wasn't following my plan. <laughs> you know, that's a, that, is a, that would make a great uh, question at a table. How old were you and what were the circumstances in your life when you realized that God was not following your plan? Well, in that season of my life, I was uh, volunteering at a building together down here. Some of you remember that, that ministry. And my father, who I really loved, was in a state of decline. And I wasn't doing well with it. I was just, I wanted him to do better. And uh, I remember being in a, a group. I can't remember what, it was, what we assembled for. And I let out just a little piece of that that my father wasn't doing well and I didn't think I was doing well with it. And this African-American woman leaned over and she put her hand in my arm and she said, I know, Paula, aging fathers can be difficult. Now that doesn't sound like much, does it? I mean, would that woman have remembered the next day she said that? No, no. But I knew that that was God in that moment, like, she was, like he was in the flesh. It was his word, in a sense, saying to me, it, it's okay, Paul, it's just, it is a difficult season and you'll make it through it and you, you aren't the worst Christian. You aren't the worst daughter. It'll be okay. It, it was, so to speak, God in the moment. And so that is actually my first challenge to you tonight. This year, I want to encourage you to ask God, to ask him to help you recognize the small moments where God is moving through another person in your life or actually moving through you in somebody else's life. It happens in conversations, in prayer, in small moments. And here's another way, actually, in which the power and the presence of God shows up in small moments. And this is an example that I have been quick to discount myself. I'm talking about those times when you just take, you're in a conversation with another woman, and maybe um, instead of just going on your way from that conversation, you take just a minute, and one or the other of you says, well, let me just take a minute and pray about what you said. Just a minute. Not 30 minutes. <laughs> just a minute. The acknowledgement, actually, that, that Christ is present. In that, in that time, the lifting up of that. Uh, some of you know that I, I did about 25 years of, of counseling in, in this town. And I think not till maybe the last 10 years did I appreciate the significance of just taking a minute at the end of a conversation. And I began to pull that over into more of my relationships. And, reali and I realized as I did that... Um, God was, that often God would reach in and touch something on the inside of me or the inside of the other person that neither of us could have ever really humanly gotten to. Have you experienced that? 
just a moment of prayer. Um, in fact, the other, the other night, I, I was on the phone with a, a friend, and uh, she and I have written together and spoken together, and she was telling me about a, a relationship that she's mentioned a number of times, and I was just going to hang up, but she said, why, why don't you just take a minute, and could you just take a minute and pray about that? And, and I took just a minute. But I noted that we both left that conversation lighter, like we weren't carrying that. We couldn't fix it. We were actually looking to God to do something, and we were leaving it with him. It is a small moment, but it is a place where you recognize Christ is present with you. I think of that verse in Hebrews. This is often used as it relates to our fellowship. Um, This is in Hebrews 10. It says, um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And let us uh, consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the day is drawing near. So what we experience when we come together is is a particular kind of encouragement along, along the journey. So those are two things I want to encourage you to ask God for this year. Moments where you are aware that God is moving to you, towards you or you to someone else in a conversation, in, in um, your being together. You're aware of it. And moments where you can just close out a conversation, it just, it, you step over the awkwardness for a second and say, well, let's, let me just take a minute and pray about what we just talked about. It changes, it so changes the uh, dynamic of it all. And then I thought of one thing that I would talk about with you that tends to get in the way of experiencing the richness that is possible in our fellowship. And that is a very human tendency, all of us are familiar with really, but the tendency to use people as a mirror. People as a mirror. Do you know what, you know what I'm talking about with that? It can be your daughter, it can be your mother, it can be your husband. It can be a friend at church. But it's that idea that I am someone, I'm a woman worthy of love, I'm confident and secure if you reflect that to me. And I'm kind of waiting for you to reflect that to me. The work of God in our life is honestly to slowly wean us from that tendency. Often we will attach ourselves to one person. If I, if I could just get what I feel like I need from that person, I would be okay. And the paradox, really, is that if you want what God has to give you through his people, if you want to really enjoy people, you can't use them as a mirror. It's the way it works. There's an Old Testament story in Genesis 29 that I have returned to so many times. It's, it's so human. It's so raw, really. Um, I often think as I read the Old Testament, you know, no, there are no Southerners in the Bible. All, all the stories are just exactly, you know, people as, as they are. And this is the Old Testament story of Leah. You will remember her. Um, Jacob was the third patriarch. He was not the most commendable. But Jacob loved Rachel. Very clear. And uh, he loved Rachel. 
Rachel, the Bible describes as beautiful of form and face. But she had an older sister, and that was Leah. The Bible describes her as having weak eyes, but kind of the Hebrew to that is implies she was not much to look at. Well, Jacob loved Rachel, and he was totally willing to work seven years to marry Rachel. But the oldest sister is supposed to get married first, and you have to wonder what Jacob drank at the wedding reception. <laughs> they could possibly have married Leah. And he wakes up in the morning, and in one of the few places in Scripture with an exclamation point, it says, well, he discovers he's married, Leah. And the phrase there in, in Genesis is, in the morning, it was Leah. <laughs> in the morning, it was Leah. Can you imagine being Leah where this man rolls over and he is so upset that he has married you? Yeah. I have, a, I have friends who, when something really disillusioning happens, one or the other will look at, look at each other and under the breath go, in the morning, it was Leah. <laughs> It is the picture of disillusionment, right? Well, Leah, you know, uh, you have to hand it to her. She was not to be outdone. And uh, she got pregnant with, with all these sons, which is the gold of the Old Testament, right? And you know what was happening on the inside of her by how she named those boys. And the first one, his name means maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe this will do it. And the second one, his name means, maybe now my husband will see me. He will notice me. The third one means, maybe now my husband will stay with me. Well, nothing changed with Jacob, right? He loved Rachel. I mean, have you, have you had a relationship where nothing changed there? Uh, you couldn't get what you longed for or... Maybe that person didn't have it to give, or they, they wouldn't give it. It, it didn't change. I, don't, I personally don't think you can get to 40 without a relationship like that. But um, that was Leah's story. So her fourth son, the one through whom Jesus came, Judah, you know that something has shifted in Leah. Nothing changed uh, on the outside, but something shifted with Leah. Because his name, the fourth son, means this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. In other words, she unplugged from Jacob to some degree. And she began to look a little bit more in the face of God. And that became the reflection of who she was. That subtle little process like that has to happen in all of us. And as it does, we are actually set free to enjoy what God brings into our lives through other people. It's, um, it's a long and a lovely uh, journey. And it is really then, um, it's how we discover in a deeper sense the love of God. So in the body of Christ, you are guaranteed in relationships to experience disappointment from time to time. Where, the question is where we go with it, really. Where we go with it. 
Do we let disappointment with people be the thing that brings us back to the well over and over to the love of God? Where we are making the actual journey on the inside that we see Leah make in that, that passage. Because it is this love that sets you free so that you can actually enjoy what God is, is doing among you. Sometimes in my own life, I will turn to Isaiah 54, which is fall is 53, that we read at Easter, and nobody reads 54. But uh, 54 is the picture of how God works his redemption out, and he chooses the lives of four, the stories of four women, that in every time and place and every culture, these are the stories that you don't ever want to live. The deserted woman, the woman abandoned, um, four women's stories. And this is the place in scripture where God works his redemption out. But there's an interesting, beautiful verse about midway through, I think it's the fifth verse, that says, for your husband is your maker. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. This great, huge God who, who brought the universe into existence is closer to you than anyone in the flesh knows you in ways that no one will ever know you. I'll tell you how I translate that verse in a relational sense that has really helped me make the journey you see in Leah and uh, set me free more to enjoy relationships in the body of Christ. When I experience disappointment in a relationship, it's kind of stinging. I will let myself stop and go back to that verse, and I will translate it relationally. It sounds like this. Lord, I just want to thank you that you are my husband, my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, my close friend. You are the lover of my soul. You are entirely love. And the love of God kind of sinks a little more into my own bones. It becomes more real to me. And it's just, a, it's in a sense, like taking a scripture passage and, and making it personal. Because it's really not possible to live in the body of Christ, to live in close relationships with people without having to work those kind of things through. So you know where God is leading us in this, uh, really. He's leading us to the picture that we see in the Apostle John. The way he describes himself at the end of his gospel. He could say, you know, he could remark on, on what a fisherman he was. He was one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. He wrote a book. He doesn't say any of that uses this phrase, I, John, that disciple whom Jesus loved. That's, who he, that's how he saw himself. That's who he was. And that's a picture of what you and I want to be able to say. When we get to a place where we're no longer using color on our hair, <laughs> in a rocking chair someplace, and somebody says, tell me, Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your life. You want to be able to say, you know, the deepest, truest, most real thing about me is that I am a woman Jesus loves. 
That's where we want to go. That's where we want to live. And as we live a little more there, our relationships in the body of Christ, we're able to take in more and we're able to give more. So there is a richness in the body of Christ that's better. Uh, even when we fail each other, it is still better than anything we can find out there. There is more life and possibility here because Christ is present among us. And we generally experience that in small moments, really, of conversation, of prayer, of being there for each other. And it is ironically our disappointments with each other that can take us, if we let it, deeper into the only love in the universe that won't let us go. That is what Hebrews says uh, five times in the Greek. I will never, 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 never leave you or let you down. So um, I want to take a minute and just close by praying for your year together and um, invite you to enjoy the richness that I know is here among you, uh, what God is doing among you, and the joy it is to be back together in the flesh and not over a computer screen, right? <laughs> and I was never impressed with that computer screen. Yes, let me pray for you. Lord, again, I want to thank you for what an um, anchoring church Holy Trinity is in the center of Raleigh and how much this work here has meant to all of us in, in this city. And I pray particularly for this women's fellowship, Lord, that relationships would grow and deepen in just remarkable ways in this year, that, Lord, you would make up for the, the years that have been lost. And I pray that um, your love would be known and evidenced by the relationships that grow among these women and then in this church. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your, all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Um, while Paula is still up there, I'm going to use my voice instead of the microphone. Um, does anybody have any questions for her? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't ask that next time. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I have a question. Um, I love better than you're doing too. You talk about um, difficult people uh, being like in your gymnasium, <laughs> that it really works your. And you also say uh -huh. when you do have a difficult situation that it's a portal when you have somebody that's difficult to love. I didn't know you could talk about that. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a metaphor that I haven't thought about in a long time. I'm impressed that you remember it. Uh, I think um, what I was describing there is that often, usually, God gives us somebody in our life it is pretty difficult for one reason or the other. And that it's a little bit like going to the gym and picking up, you know, the 15-pound weight you just don't usually work with. But if you just hang with that harder weight, you discover that all the rest of your relationships, um, you, you get the benefit in all the rest of your relationships. Uh, so it's often, you know, we... 
we want to pull away from a relationship that is difficult when in reality there's just so much growth and possibility to, to have, happen there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting metaphor. Willa. I have a question. What color? What, what's your color? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I immediately thought of red because I used to just, I used to wear it a lot, you know. Yeah, maybe to softer colors, but uh, yeah. That was a great, those are great questions, by the way. Really great, great women's group questions. Yeah.